Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I got my workout in today. Oh, did you? I did. Yep. Very nice. Just had strength strength training this morning, and then um, yesterday I played hooky and went on a 60-something mile bike ride with a couple of friends. This time we kind of pushed the pace a bit, so I woke up quite sore, probably a little bit dehydrated, honestly, <laughs> from yesterday. And then, um, but it did feel good to to work it out in the gym this morning. So nice. Yeah, yeah I, I find that when I'm sore, if I go force myself to do some other exercise, it really helps a lot. Yeah, it's counterintuitive, but it seems to seems to work every time. I'm always like, ooh, this is going to be rough. And then by the time I get blood flow going to those different muscles, it's like, oh yeah, that's better. Yeah. I think I learned is that like, so your lymphatic system is what clears out like damaged cells and waste and whatnot. And the lymphatic system is not like your circulatory system where like the heart is pumping it. It's actually powered by muscle contractions. So like as you actually, as your muscles work, they, they f- push stuff through it. So if just like laying around is kind of actually the worst way to deal with yeah. that stuff interesting kind of active recovery i guess mm-hmm. call it. Mm-hmm. yeah that whole walk it off thing is kind of a yeah kind of right there's, there's something to it there's some science to that mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so good for you yeah it was good it's feeling like the last like into the last gasp of summer fall right now here it's like getting increasingly kind of overcast outside we had like a foggy morning and it's like the nights are getting pretty cool so you know winter is definitely uh (laughs) creeping in closer and closer although it has been like unseasonably warm here so i'm just trying to make the most of all of that before it gets you know downright freezing Mm -hmm. yeah it's october here and it's finally feeling like like september now yeah (laughs) yeah it's weird how it's been delayed overall i think yeah 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 well, I'm uh, I'm back from the vineyard. Nice. Mm-hmm. Which is back in the saddle. Fine, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were working some, and then like like taking opportunities to do R and R while you're out in the vineyard, right? Um, so now you're kind of just more back in like a working more hours kind of flow. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which wouldn't be so bad, except that I'm isolating at home because I had a minor case of COVID. Oh, goody. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the people that came to visit us on the vineyard um, one morning was like, I feel like I'm coming down with a cold. And I was like, oh, hey, I have a, a rapid test. Do you want to you use that? And she did. And it came back positive. Um, and then a couple of days later, I tested positive myself. Yeah. Well, I guess if you're going to get it, it's good to uh, good that it was mild and now you have kind of your you have your double double immunity now, I guess. Right. And it was also, I mean, we were like already like pretty isolated on the island, which is kind of nice. And the person I was staying with never got it, which is interesting. So, you know, props to her immune system. But yeah, uh so normally it'd be fun to like come back to to Boston and get back to the office and hang out with people, but I've just been chilling in my apartment. Huh. Well, have you been able to get stuff done or has it been kind of zapped your energy? A bit. I mean, for a while it was, I felt very foggy. Like I definitely felt really drained and like I couldn't think very well. But the last couple of days it has definitely started to lift and I'm feeling pretty close to my normal self. So I've been doing, we've been doing increasing amounts of work as the time has gone on. I was pretty fortunate. Like I I had a, a pretty bad fever for a day or two and I had a bit of like a kind of a moderate cough for a few days. But other than that, I was just kind of mostly fatigued and, you know, cranky, I guess. 
And my only lingering thing now is I can't smell anything. Oh man. Gosh. Yeah. It's, it's surreal. Like I like was like, maybe I'll do like a hot toddy as like a little treat and like poured some whiskey. And I was like, I cannot, I couldn't tell you this is whiskey. Jeez. Like, I could put my <laughs> face in the glass and just be like, it smells like nothing, like nothing, like zero input. So that's, that's not that cool. Hopefully that goes away. That would probably be one of the most like depressing parts of like going through a round of COVID for me would be potential loss of taste and smell because I just love food so much. Like I get yeah. so much joy from, from those it, things. It does suck. I can tell you. It's not very fun. Like I can still kind of taste like salty and sweet like slightly, but there's just no flavors. Everything is like very, like, everything is extremely bland. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard people like often like hit a bunch of like hot sauce or something. Have you been playing around with like super spicy bit. things? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. If I eat too much hot sauce, it doesn't make me feel that great. So mm-hmm. there's a price to pay for doing that too. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, but apparently according to the health department lady that called me uh, today is the last day that I need to isolate. Okay. All right. So home stretch. Whew. Well, sorry I had to go through that. Well, thanks. A couple days ago, I think it was like Wednesday or something, or maybe Tuesday, I was feeling like really crappy and not like sick, but just like, I don't know, anxious and sad and all this stuff. And it was like, these like isolation plus lack of exercise is, uh, is not a great recipe. Shocker. And I was like, why do I feel so crappy? And I was like, well, when's the last time I actually got any exercise? It's like, wow, it's been, I guess, like a week and a half. So I just started like, forcing myself to take walks and even that just like little like walks was like a big difference mm-hmm. fresh air elevate the heart rate just a little bit yeah mm-hmm. sunlight yeah. just just not being stuck in, and also like clean my apartment you like did the dishes and like pick some stuff up and it was like okay really helps as, as always yeah yeah i mean honestly man like i felt like i was in a pretty like anxious place people could probably hear in the last episode Mostly because I was coming off of like, you know, I just had a cold, but it like tanked my energy and everything just felt more daunting and more like, (laughs) like harder to cope with in general, just thinking about the business. Cause I kind of do operate at like a close to my maximum capacity on like number of, you know, threads I can have going at once. And so, and you know, all it takes is a little bit to kind of knock me off my rhythm and, um, and it's tough. It's like, I mean, probably the, the general rule applies like when you're in that mental state, try not to make any big decisions or anything like, you know, just kind of put pause on, on that because, um, probably not able to fully, it was the rule of thumb. Like if you're sick, tired, hungry, like there's a whole list of things. Like if, if you're dealing with any of those things, try not to make any big decisions because <laughs> you're probably not, not a fully sound mind. Yeah. I've been trying to like not interact with too many people almost just Mm -hmm. because i i feel like i'm still actually like not back to like full patience levels like i i feel snappier like i feel like meaner or sort of like more cranky still a little bit yeah there were a couple days where i was just in a super bad mood and it's not normal for me to be in a bad i'm a pretty like emotionally even keeled guy (laughs) but like a couple days i was just like i'm not going to be very pleasant right now so just don't talk to me I think kind of surprise people surprises people around me when I when I'm like that because it's so rare you know like geez what's wrong with Derek it's like sorry <laughs> well so I, I ran in all hands this week okay despite uh, being a little bit foggy and there mm-hmm. were eight people in it wow team yeah. is growing man I know it's uh 
It's interesting. I, I feel like the team is growing and also we're going to have to grow some of the processes a little bit. We had like a product planning meeting also this week and coming out of it was kind of like that was like a bit too ad hoc for the amount of things we have going on now. Like it's starting to feel like we need a bit more planning ahead of time and writing of things down and prioritization lists and things like that. Because now there's just even more moving pieces. Yeah. For product planning, like, so, I mean, you kind of, right now you're the main product guy. You like own the roadmap basically, right? But when you're doing these meetings, are you trying to basically take in input from other members of the team and kind of coalesce that down into to a plan? Or like, how does that? Yeah, I would say it's that. It's not very structured. Like, it's, we don't have like, a, oh, here's how we do it. It's sort of up to luck or something like i think it's kind of like what are people thinking what do we want to do how are we feeling who's available for what it's it's just a bit too casual i think um i think it require i think it basically it's we're hitting a point where it's going to require more prep from me um and more of a vision where it's like like if when it was me joel and spencer in a room it was kind of like we could just talk about stuff as we go and i'm sort of aware of all the things that are that are happening um, and also like the, I feel like the goals were usually clearer. It's like, okay, no one, no one can use the product. Let's change that. <laughs> right. Yeah. But now yeah. it's like, okay, we're launching Linux soon. And, but there's this other work over here to do on the reliability side. And also we have this, this availability here. Like, what do you want to do with this? And it's tricky. Yeah. Competing priorities, like determining clarity around what order of operations, where to allocate your development resources, basically, right? Yeah, um, and there's just more decisions to make overall because there's more people that need stuff to do. So it's, so it's like, oh, if you don't do a good job of this, some, they're going to just, like, someone will just pick something. And that won't be terrible, but it's not as good as if we've aligned all the vectors. Mm-hmm. You, like, thinking about adopting a specific framework, like ShapeUp or something like that? I think I do want to lean more into ShapeUp, actually, yes. Of the things I've seen and tried, I think it's my favorite so far. I talked talking to Wathen about it too, and he's he's a big fan. Um, and I think that I think that could be a good path forward for us. So I was actually just writing a, a shaped pitch this morning. I um, still am just like loosely aware of the concepts behind Shape Up, but I feel like you know, as a team of one, like it's probably like I just haven't been super rigorous about like trying to adhere to a specific framework yet, but. That one's definitely on the radar for me as I, you know, as things gradually get more um, complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You still thinking about hiring somebody? Yeah. You know, I, I talked to a number of folks in the last week or two and sort of got a lay of the land of like, well, so I haven't gone full on like posting a job, a job wreck, you know, like, and um, so I've sort of still just been very casually dipping my toe in those waters and you know, talk to someone who was looking more for more for like a kind of a full time thing and a little bit less experience on the Elixir front. And then I talked to someone who was like extremely senior and experienced in Elixir, but um, a consultant and discovered like, yeah, that's like that type of persona is probably a bit outside of my um, budget right now. So, you know, trying to figure out like I would like to do contract probably, but then like, will I be able to find someone who could could be like, you know, get up to speed as quickly as I would want them to without a lot of intervention, but not be like way outside of my budget range. So I'm just, you know, still kind of like, I'm holding back on like really doing this in earnest and like trying to find someone because I think I'm not fully convinced that like this is 
the perfect time to do it or, or the optimal time to do it for me. It's still been like kind of in that land of just having casual conversations as people reach out, you know, people are listening to this podcast, hearing me talk about this and they're like, just like introducing themselves, which is really great, you know, to kind of get to kind of make some of those connections and stuff. So I definitely feel more like less anxious about it <laughs> compared to last week, just because I, I feel like, all right, I think I've got, still got a handle on what I want to get done. And I think I can do it in a, in, at a pace that I'm okay with. Um, so yeah, mm. kind of. Do you have a goal that you're working towards in the business right now that's like feels exciting and motivating to you? I guess it's like not like a specific goalpost out in the future necessarily, but I I sort of see in the near term like I've been able to kind of determine like these these are great like roadmap items that I would love to have done in the next quarter. So I did a little bit of like reflection after we talked last week, because that was a really good nudge to say, like, think about what, what do you want to accomplish in the next quarter, which feels like a, a manageable, like scope of time to think through. And I sort of was able to, to get some confidence around, like, if I, if I can get these things done before the end of the year, then I'll feel really good about progress and on the product front. And also like, I mean, the, the goal on the marketing front, it's interesting. It's like, I don't have a specific goal other than continue growing and ideally grow at a faster rate than I'm growing right now, <laughs> you know, just optimize that, the slope of that curve. And so I guess that's, that's probably the, the extent of the kind of the goal setting that I have right now. You're at default alive now. Yes. Yes. Yep. Okay. So your, your basic needs are met. The business is unlikely to die. You'd like it to be bigger and getting bigger faster it doesn't sound like there's like a, a thing in your head that you're like oh i really want this to happen or this will make a big difference or something changes here right yeah i think um you know like the, i still have the, the grander the bigger vision of like i want to build a a meaningfully sized company a multi-million dollar company this asset that's worth you know a meaningful amount i'm trying not to feel too too much urgency around that. Like, like it has to happen in the next six months or it has to happen in the next year. Like I'm okay with the kind of organic path that we're on, I guess, which I think is a healthy mindset to have. Um, it's at least what like kind of the bootstrapper ethos tries to instill in people. And I feel like that's probably, that's probably where I'm at right now. Um, obviously there are times where like I feel incredibly dissatisfied with like with pace and like very anxious to, to grow faster. But then it's like, is that, is that really that important? Is that even optimal to, to grow a lot faster than we're going right now? Do we need to like, probably not. Um, I'm not feeling like existential threat from like, if we don't grow faster, then someone's going to come eat our lunch. You know, like, I think I'm, I'm not feeling that right now because I feel pretty confident in like the, the differentiators we've carved out and kind of the, the brand that we're gradually building around Savvy Cal and, the word of mouth and all that kind of stuff. So I guess it's like, I'm feeling more confident in our, the little moat that we have, you know, and I think that's what helps me not to feel too, uh, too anxious about like, I got to get really big, really fast so that a competitor doesn't come eat my lunch. You know, is there like a net new MRR number that would make you happy? How much do you want to add per month ideally or, or would make you feel good? I honestly don't know how to come up with that optimal number for that. Um, it's been pretty consistent. Like I would say our growth has been um, not quite linear, like a little bit faster than linear, but like definitely not like exponential. We're not on a hockey stick trajectory, you know, I'm trying to feel happy with where we're at right now. 
when I do modeling exercises, like, okay, you know, what if we hired an engineer? What if we hired a designer and an engineer? Like just, I am constantly like playing with, with different scenarios and it's like, okay, yeah, we need a lot more MRR in order to like afford this, these number of teammates. So I guess like that's, that's really what drives me what motivates me the most to grow faster is to say like, if I want to get to the place where I can actually like hire some senior level contributors who can really work on independent streams of work and we can move a little bit faster like that, that's very appealing. And then, um, then I realized just how much, like how much that costs <laughs> to accomplish. But then it's like, okay, so say I say I put a pinned a number in my head that said like, well, I'd love to grow, you know, three times as fast, like, 3x the amount of MRR growth each month. And it's like, okay, so I've, if I make that goal, like, now what? You know, like, now I'll just be constantly dissatisfied if I don't reach that, which is probably not healthy. So um, I don't know. That's the tricky thing about, about setting goals. It's like, I don't want to set myself up to be in a constant state of dissatisfaction. It's enough when I get a profit well email that's like, mm, you're, uh, you're at 10% of your growth target, uh, 13% of the way through the month, you've failed. <laughs> Yeah, those are like <laughs> it's only three percent, man. It's not that bad, but uh, yeah, I don't know. How do you think about this stuff? Do you have like a particular number in mind, like higher than somewhere where it's at right now that you would be feel like you'd be happy with, or do you feel satisfied with with where you're at? Well, um, September was really good for us, um, so we 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 grew a lot in September. Um, so if we keep that up, that'd be lovely. But like August was, was fairly slow. Um, still like going up, but not by a lot. I have these kind of like somewhat arbitrary, oh, it'd be great to grow by this much in MRR per month uh, in my head. Uh, and those are kind of, <laughs> I mean, it's like three times higher than it was before COVID just because. Um, I don't have specific MRR goals at the moment exactly. It's for me, my focus is more around like do I feel like we have the team that we need to do great stuff, to make awesome software? And am I doing a good enough job at like running that organization? I think the a lot of stuff is downstream from those things. Yeah. I think that's where if I if I want to think about, you know, setting goals around things, like for me, setting MRR goals feels like like aiming at the outcome as opposed to the thing that it flows out of. You know, so I so for me it's like I, if I focus a lot of my attention on, well, kind of two fronts, you know, improving the product and making it even more compelling for existing customers and, and potential new customers, and then making sure that I'm communicating that through good marketing efforts, <laughs> like those two fronts are, are where I want to feel momentum and movement. And, you know, I expect that MR growth will result from those things. So, and it's like harder to put a, you know, quantifiable number on those things like how much have we improved the product in the last month it's hard to say but i think that working in public for me helps a little bit on that because it's like you know when i can when i can feel other people feeling the momentum and getting that feedback loop that's what kind of you know helps me feel more confident about the pace that we're moving it's fun to work on like marketing initiatives with Corey. it's fun to have his brain kind of thinking about these things so it's not all on me and a lot of that stuff's really hard to quantify also. It's like we're making longer term investments in like some content pieces and stuff. We kind of building a strategy around that and it's gonna take a while for that to to fully pay off. But it's kind of like just I guess feeling comfortable in like, no, this is what we're 
this is what we're investing into this area and we're expecting to see a result at some point in the future that's not right now. So I need to not be too focused on results right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Complicated. Yeah, it is. It is. Like, we used to do this with Drip a little bit. I think we would we would set, like, figure out what our funnel looks like and kind of keep a, keep an eye on where, where the different parts of, you know, conversion rates all the way down down the line and then think about like well how much traffic would we need to get in the top of the funnel in order to get people to this next stage and onto the email list and then from the email list we convert a certain percentage into trials and from trials to paying customers and and ultimately it kind of starts with traffic to the website and trickles down from there you know it's, it's hard to say like well okay then these are the things i'm going to do to increase traffic to the website it's like well easier said than done like it has to be the right kind of traffic and it has to be um, you know, a good fit in, for actually buying the product. So that is like, that is the most, the hardest part is finding like good traffic that actually wants to buy the product. And that's what the whole game is all about. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so change of gears uh, a little bit. The weekly email that I've been sending out has, uh, has been uh, a success, I would say. Uh, got some feedback about it and people were into it. We talked about it at all hands, and the re- response was was very positive. People have liked the sort of summary of here's what's going on across the company. Mm-hmm. Good. So I'm going to keep keep that going. Nice. Um, and that's been really it's been pretty simple so far. Mostly just like completed projects, but I also kind of think it's a cool opportunity to throw some other things in there. Like, oh, here's a metric that I'm tracking and paying attention to. Here's here's some interesting data on that, or here's like a some feedback we've gotten from customers, positive or negative, recently. It's kind of a nice um, forum. Yeah, I imagine it helps you to like the exercise of writing this out, right? Like I always find that when I write an investor update, it helps me like think through what actually did happen in the last month and and like, oh yeah, things are actually better than maybe I was thinking they were right now, like because I was able to kind of reflect back and and look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So yeah, I'm gonna keep that going. Also, we're hiring a designer. I posted a job description for this on the website. If you are in our audience and might be a designer or no one, I would uh, very much appreciate intros and connections and things of that nature. This is actually what I feel like the biggest missing pieces in our team right now. Like looking at looking at the all hands, I was like, okay, I think we have everything pretty well covered, but still when it comes down to like, okay, and then what does that look like in the UI? I feel kind of blocked. Um, so... I know you've you've kind of taken a couple of attempts at like finding this person for this role. Do you feel like this is one of the hardest roles that you've had to fill? I would say yes. Partly I have sort of high standards around this and it's possible they were like tuned a bit too high, honestly. Part of this is me like learning what's what's out there and what's reasonable. Like comparing a potential designer to like the best possible designer versus like having someone or not having someone like if you could get the best designer in the world that'd be great cool if you can't do that do you want a designer or no designer it's like hmm well i kind of do want a designer (laughs) um so i think i'm kind of learning um i'm kind of calibrating myself to what's out there and like what we can who we can attract basically like we are not an impressive design org or something where like everyone has got to go, you know, we don't have cachet in the design world. Easier for us to hire developers. Yeah. But it's also, I think that also presents an interesting opportunity for somebody. So anyone who's listening to this, like, yeah, so Tuple 
like has the potential to be a a really um, heavy hitter in the like Mac app design world. Like it's it's an app that's poised to do that, and so that could be a really interesting opportunity for someone to like really level up a lot of things on the design front without having to like fill big shoes necessarily. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of there's potentially low hanging fruit, and there's there's like you could have a lot of like influence on turning this into like a, an app that people talk about for its design, um, which is a cool opportunity for a designer, you know, to come. And in that's and that's the dream. Like mm-hmm. I, I value good design a lot, mm-hmm. um, and so um, I'm eager to invest in that here. Yeah, I think there are kind of too many dev tools that don't pay enough attention to that, and I would mm-hmm. like us to not be one of them. Mm-hmm. I think like the fact that like, um, you know, tail and CSS, very popular, uh, <laughs> you know, open source project with also arguably some of the best design in the industry, like poured into its like documentation website and all this stuff just makes it like such an incredible tool to use, um, that all that stuff is thought through so much. And, um, so I think there's like a lot of opportunity to be, to really stand out in the more developer focused tooling just by like investing a lot in that. Yeah. This is what I like. It's like, it's making great software. That's, that's, I think that's the most fulfilling thing for me is just like, are we making a tool that we feel really proud of? And part of that is having really good design and lots of, you know, thoughtful touches and things like that. So to achieve what I want Tuple to be, I need someone, someone good in that role. And we're, we're so far from it today. Like there's just like the the back end it's is pretty ugly. Like there's like we have like a million different purples. You know, this this you can just sort of tell it's been a hodgepodge of like design help here and here here and there with different different vibes all over the place. I know designers like to unify stuff. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. someday that that so that, that will be that'll be one of the projects, which will be, I think, fun for, for the right kind of person. I think honestly it was kind of spoiled at Thoughtbot. Um because ThoughtBot was really good at hiring designers that were really good, good visually and like good at user research, but also like could code or, or at least, you know, do HTML and CSS and, and often sort of small JavaScript stuff too. Um, and I got pretty used to that kind of where it's just like, oh yeah, the, the devs are writing the backend code and then the designers writing everything else. And it seems like the industry is not, that's not that common, I guess. <sighs> Which that's, surprises feels, me. Yeah, it feels wrong to me. It feels so uh, limiting to not be able to work in that medium that it surprises me that more people haven't made the jump to just assume that that's like, you just have to do that. Yeah, yeah. I know, it's it's something that like, you know, like the Basecamp team's been talking about this for decades now, like this as like the the way they think about the designer role is to get down into the into HTML at least, you know, and that's something that we tried to do at Drip, like, um, from day one when we got our first designers in, like, I was very much like, no, we're not going to be working with like Photoshop mockups or nowadays it would be Sketch or Figma, you know, like maybe we can do a little bit of prototyping in that, but ultimately the designer's job is to like put it into the final medium. And honestly, like I find that's, it surprises me because in my mind, it's a lot easier to do like interface design in using like if you, especially if you're using something like tailwind you know like putting stuff in there and something you can actually click around on and play with is a lot easier than like than dragging objects on a canvas in like a mock-up tool you know 
at least in my experience. But so it surprises me that that hasn't been more of a, more of a thing. Yeah, me too. I had someone pitch me on like doing some design consulting and I was like, okay, well, can you do HTML and CSS on the back end or like edit these React components for the client? And he was like, well, no. And I was like, well, then I don't really see how you can help us. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you do here exactly? It's hard. Like front end dev is not easy. But to be a web, you know, a designer that wants to make products in 2021 and to have no ability to, to turn a Figma design into some sort of working thing, that just feels feels like you're going to get left behind. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hopefully this is not scaring off. <laughs> I don't know if I'm making a great... Anyway, in my job ad, I said it's not a hard requirement, the HTML and CSS bit, but I, it's, man, I, I think it would be... I think it's tough to get by without that. Yeah. Yeah. Strongly, strongly preferred. <laughs> strongly preferred. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, we need to hire another person to then turn the designs into things or right, right, or take engineering time to kind of hack together the CSS and whatnot. And that's mm-hmm. just not. Yeah. And I right. just I feel like ideally, ideally, like a web designer will have opinions about how the CSS is structured, you know, like that's developer back end developers don't necessarily have a lot of training in that or necessarily have a lot of strong opinions about how that stuff gets organized. That's the other piece. It's like for the, and back in the day, it used to be like someone would design something in Photoshop and then you would like send it to someone who would like slice it into HTML, CSS, and then you'd like throw that in. But the problem is, uh, you know, if you're like designing one-off landing pages or something, and then you just have a bunch of like independently sliced up Photoshop files with CSS that doesn't, you don't actually share any styles across these pages. And like, it's a nightmare (laughs) very quickly. But then, yeah, the alternative is like just a developer on the team doing that slicing. Like, Oh, it really should be in the designer's, um, you know, scope of of responsibility to like maintain the design system, the CSS that you're using. To yeah, I agree. Know. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, would love to hire a designer. Please, please, <laughs> please refer people. Yeah, especially if you agree with these these strong opinions about design. <laughs> yes, tuple dot app slash jobs. It's right there, uh, and would love to hear from folks. We're offering 175k for this position, which I think is pretty high for a design role like this. Yeah, it's pretty healthy. Yeah, um, full time, remote. I've talked to some design friends, and they said they they said it was pretty. That was that was strong. So yeah, hopefully we can find somebody. Speaking of design, I just um, just cut a new version of the Savvy Cal homepage. Oh yeah, nice. That one felt good. It was like something we've been meaning to do for a while. We hadn't really hadn't revisited a lot of the copy on the homepage in a while. And we're realizing there were just a lot of like differentiators not being highlighted well. Things were in kind of an order that like didn't make a ton of sense or just were kind of like we just made a decision at the time, but it's like could be optimized. So it wasn't like a huge, you know, uh, rework everything. There were a lot of parts that were reused, but definitely went through and like freshened up the visuals a bit, made things a little bit punchier, playing with like some gradients. Gradients are back. <laughs> and uh we revisited the headline and that was a man words are hard that was a really tough exercise um and it's interesting because there are so many like competing opinions about what your h1 should be you know should it be something that's that's like extremely evocative and like speaks to 
you know, kind of the value you're delivering, but kind of like nondescript, like if maybe you wouldn't know what the product does when you read it uh, versus something that's more literal that just says like, this is what we do. And it's something like Justin Jackson talks about a lot of this a lot. Like he has very strong opinions about like, you know, in his experience, like an H1 that just really says what you do is most important to hook somebody who's like just shopping around for the thing that you provide. And then there's of course equal and oppositely strong opinions in the other direction. So it was a tough call. Uh, we decided to play with kind of still alluding to one of the, the the big differentiators that we have, which is that we're trying to build an experience that is delightful for both parties, the person who's sending it and the person who's receiving a scheduling link. And, you know, ultimately we believe like if we make this a smoother process, it'll encourage people to use it more and not feel so awkward doing this scheduling dance and ultimately save people a lot of time and yada, yada, yada. So we kind of arrived with like um, a headline that speaks to speaks to that a little bit less specific about the power dynamic and more just about like it's an experience that both parties will love. And so we'll see how that performs. I don't think we have enough traffic to get like a meaningful like split test result, you know, in a statistically significant way. I, I don't think so. I think it would take a while. So we're just sort of it was like the call, like, do we do we make this step very gradually, incrementally and and split test it a bunch? Or do we just kind of like go based off of the, the things that we know and and rework a bunch of things on the page and just kind of drop a new version? And that's kind of what we decided to do. We might end up like in in time, I think split testing can be a really valuable thing, especially as you're trying to like optimize something like a headline. So not ruling that out, but given our traffic levels and a lot of our traffic goes directly to scheduling links, not necessarily to our homepage. When we like whittle it down to people who are landing at the homepage, it's just not enough to, to get that result um, quickly enough. I don't think so. We want to move faster than that. So gotcha. Did I know you had a premium plan? Um, I don't know. We've had that for probably six months. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Maybe I need to make that more known to existing customers. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I... I mean, I have a terrible memory, so it's very possible that I knew this yeah. at one point. Yeah. I'm sure we talked about it, but... Hmm. Yeah. We've been talking about our premium plan. Yeah. What are you thinking? Well, so we have this enterprise offering, and the the things in the enterprise await that are not in the basic, or like the sort of standard plan was um, custom contracts, you know, like invoice EPO kind of things um, and uh, single sign-on. And I think we're going to pull single sign-on out of that and put it in the our basic offering. It's felt bad to us the last handful of times. People have like emailed us and been like, hey, we want to turn on single sign-on. And we're like, cool, it's going to cost you a bunch more money. And they're like, why? And it's like, well, because that's what people do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it hasn't felt great. Mm -hmm. um, this is like a pretty common move. It's like the it's a classic kind of like oh this is a big company they care about big company things they're more they're less price sensitive let's charge them more money. And it's just felt crappy to me and Stephen the last handful of times. Um, and there are some things that like the enterprise the more the bigger companies are asking for, and I would rather build those things, and like give them a like legitimate enterprise offering that they're excited to upgrade to. As opposed to just being like, oh yeah, you've triggered the like, we, we're pretty sure we can extort you for more money here. Yeah. Thing. Yep. Yep. 
I like that. I think, and especially because SSO can be seen as like a, a kind of a security measure, like something that helps people be more secure. So like charging for security just has kind of a, exactly. not, a great, not a great look. Yeah. I also have a theory that if we get people to set up SSO, it might improve the expansion in that team. Like once you make it easier to sign up and sign in and all that, like maybe more people do it. It's like, well, that's good for us. Why are we gating this? So it is more secure. They like it more, and and it possibly it, it like directly causes more revenue to happen without you know just charging more for the per user. So part of me feels kind of dumb pulling it out because it's like, well, this is the this is a thing we use to kind of push people into more expensive plans, but it's just has never it's never sat right with us or with me at least. So I think we're gonna I think we're gonna try it and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Our premium plan came about when. Like I wanted to provide a path for people to remove, remove branding, the savvy cal, like scheduling by savvy cal um, branding on their links, and it was like felt right to put that on a higher tier. And for the longest time, that's basically all it was on that on the premium tier. And then we've added some additional things like delegate, like if you want to delegate access to your account to an assistant, um, so basically they can sign up and then they can get access to it. Then that requires being on the premium plan. So I think those are the two main things on there right now and I don't get a lot of pushback on that but I also want to think about you know that's one thing to think about optimizing like how to make that more compelling it's a minority of our revenue comes from the premium plan but it's still still something so mm-hmm. yeah yep pricing and packaging yeah always <sighs> worth tweaking so many things to optimize so many things mm-hmm. okay well you want to wrap it yeah, I think that's about good. Cool. Notes of the show. Notes of the show can be on artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya. Goodbye.